The siren call of sin can sound very familiar. And perhaps as we look back over our lives and our walks with the Lord, there have been seasons where we've been all too acquainted with its call. And whenever we think of those moments, and whenever those moments grieve us, how we thank God tonight for our blessed Saviour. How we have a Saviour who has, as Paul says in Colossians, delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. There's lots of but God statements in the word of God. We can think of Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul spoke about but God being rich in mercy and having that great love wherewith he loved us. And so we have but God in our salvation. And here Paul tells us about but God in our sanctification. How God is even with us in those moments that we face, perhaps such overwhelming temptation. Last week as we looked at Joseph and that great declaration that we've mentioned, how he knew God meant it unto good, we saw how, how we have God in control of our circumstances, even those things that we can't understand, those things that are beyond our control and our, and our comprehension, that God is still at work there and how we can still have our faith and our trust and our guidance in him. Here we see again God in those moments of temptation. We have God in those moments where we think he's less visible. We have God in those moments where we think that he's further away from us than he ever has been before. And Paul reminds us that whenever those moments come, whenever those feelings come, whenever those temptations come, God is still there. And it's a wonderful encouragement to us as his people to know that our God is still there whenever we face the onslaught of the devil. Whenever we think of this verse tonight, the verse 13, we'll just break it down and we'll see where God is whenever those moments of temptation come. But let's first of all look at the nature of temptation because Paul has listed some examples from Old Testament Israel, particularly throughout their wilderness journeys. He mentions their idolatry in verse 7 whenever they constructed the golden calf. He mentions how they committed fornication in the verse 8 whenever they, they fell to the, to the women that, that Balak led in front of them on their journeys through the wilderness. In verse 9, he mentions how they, they tempted Christ and how they were destroyed and they were destroyed of serpents. In the verse 10, he, he speaks of how they murmured. And whenever we look at those sins that are listed in, in that chapter 10, we see murmuring in there along with idolatry, among fornication, among tempting Christ. And so we see whenever it comes to sin, whatever sin it is, God is grieved. Whether it be murmuring, whether it be idolatry, God has to take it into account. And as we look at the nature of sin here, as Paul writes about it in this chapter, he, he makes us aware that sin uh, or temptation is a very personal matter. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common demand. You don't need me to tell you this evening that some temptations may be stronger to me than they are to you and vice versa. Some temptations may be stronger to you than they are to me. Temptation affects individuals in different ways and affects individuals in different seasons. There's no blueprint in the Christian life whenever it comes to when we will face particular temptations and how strongly we will face those temptations. And that's what Paul wants the believers in Corinth to have in mind. You can think of the earlier chapters in the book of, of 1 Corinthians and the different sins that are addressed um, to the church in that chapter. And, and some of them may have thought, well, I'm not involved in that. I, you know, that letter is not for me. That part of this letter from Paul is not for me. But he tells the believers here in the verse 12, wherefore let him that thinks he standeth take heed lest he fall. You never know when that temptation will come. 
And so whenever there's another brother or sister in Christ that has fallen to those temptations, it's very easy to stand up and puff the chest out and say, but, that, or, but for the grace of God, go I. And we can often say that in a very proud manner. We can sometimes mean it in a very proud manner that, you know, thank God I didn't fall for that temptation. And Paul wants us to remember that it is only because of his grace that we didn't. And so we have to take heed lest we fall. Peter warns us that our adversary is a personal adversary. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The devil knows our weaknesses this evening. How we thank God he knows our weaknesses. How he understands those things in which we we are frail, those things that we appreciate, we can't do in our own strength, but the devil knows them as well. He knows our weaknesses. He is a very personal adversary. And so sin and temptation is quite a personal matter. And it can be so personal that it can drive a believer to a place of isolation. Whenever those seasons of temptation come, whenever those moments of temptation come, it can cause a believer to feel so individual in those moments. It can cause a believer to feel so alone in those moments that it drives them to a place of isolation. It can cause a believer to think that it's only them that's facing that particular temptation. It can cause a believer to think that it's only them that's feeling it in in such a powerful way, in such an overwhelming way, that nobody else will be able to sympathize. Nobody else will be able to to comfort me in those moments. And it can drive a believer to, to a place of spiritual isolation. It can take them away from the people of God. It can take them away from the place of God, from the things of God, from the world of God. It can cause a believer such despair whenever overwhelming moments of temptation come. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 18 and the verse 1, Through desire a man has separated himself and seeks and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Whenever somebody is so overwhelmed with one thought, it just drives them to a place where they're constantly overthinking it on their own, Solomon says in Proverbs 18. And whenever those moments of temptation come, perhaps that scenario is all too common. Whenever we're left like Elijah and we can say, I, even I only, am left. It's only me, Lord, that's facing this particular temptation. That's how personal sin is. That's how personal temptation is. But we're also told here that even though temptation is a personal thing, it's also a popular thing. In that it affects all believers. And it affects all believers through all time. That's what Paul reminds us here. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And those words in that verse can bring that sense of comfort that we need. Whenever those feelings of temptation are so overwhelming, whenever the devil gets in our ears and gets in our heads and tells us that we're the only one who has faced this, that nobody else will understand, Paul tells us here, all those things are just common to man. Other believers have known about it, And in years to come, other believers will know about it. Child of God, tonight you're not the first and you won't be the last. Whenever it comes to that particular temptation. Others have gone through identically. Others have gone through it similarly. But whenever we think of these things, it it means as well that even though it's a comfort to us, it means that we can't excuse our sin. It means that we can't say, well, I was the first to face this temptation. I'm just the guinea pig, as it were, to how to overcome it. And other people have to learn after me. They have that excuse. They have that ability. God reminds us here that every temptation we face is a temptation that other people have faced, other believers have faced. 
and that other believers have been able to overcome. And so it reminds us, as well, it humbles us as well as comforts us, that we can't excuse sin because of how personal those moments of temptation can be. But again, it does comfort us because we are then able to sympathize with one another. And that's what the Word of God encourages God's people to do. Whenever believers are so overwhelmed with temptation, it calls on us, it calls on you and I to comfort one another. Whenever Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, he says in chapter 6 and the verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Draw alongside them and comfort them and again remind them that that temptation that they have faced is just common to man, that other believers elsewhere have faced it, that they're not facing this alone. I'm not sure if it's a, a Northern Ireland thing or not, but we can be very proud at times whenever it comes to seeing a believer fall into sin. Whenever we see someone else falling in such an overwhelming moment of temptation that we can write them off, we can often question their salvation, we can say to one another, were they even saved at all? That's what Paul is reminding the Corinthians here, those that had that mindset. Again, you can think of the the different sins that were already mentioned in this chapter. And and some of the believers in the church at Corinth were thinking to themselves, well, thank goodness that wasn't me. You know, how dare they bring such shame to the name of the church here in Corinth? Paul reminds them, as we've already said in the verse 12, watch yourself, lest you fall as well. Verse 13, he says, as we've read, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. God is still faithful to them. And to make that even personal tonight, God is still faithful to you and he's still faithful to me whenever those moments of temptation come, even whenever we choose that temptation over the Savior, how God is still faithful. See how personal temptation is, how popular temptation is. See how persistent temptation is here As well, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You don't need me to tell you this evening that temptation doesn't end after one attraction. Temptation doesn't end after after one request, after one invitation. Temptation and sin is a lifelong opponent. It's something that you and I will wrestle with till he returns or calls us home. And so Paul is, is not only warning us about this, but he's reminding us and he's encouraging us that this is something that we will face until that day that we see the Lord. And that's why right throughout the Word of God, right throughout the New Testament, whenever those apostles are, are writing to believers, they encourage you and they, they encourage me to, to stand firm against the devil, to stand firm against sin. Paul says in Ephesians 4, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a starting spot. Don't give him anything because of how persistent he is. How Satan will take any opportunity that's given to him. How he will take an inch and he'll take a lot more than a mile. Are there cracks this evening in that spiritual armor? Is there somewhere in your heart, in my heart, where the devil can perhaps get a foothold? Is there somewhere that we've been complacent recently that the devil may just try and use to lead us down that path of temptation? Because he is a very persistent enemy. Again, Peter says he's walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He never rests. 
and he tries to wear down believers. He will try to wear down the child of God because of how persistent he is. Again, whenever it comes to temptation, whenever you hear the testimonies of saints who who think back to their years in sin and how that particular life of sin started and how those particular sins started off in their life, it's often the same mantra of the devil, just once, just the once, and then I'll leave you alone. How it is even in your hearts and in mine, even after we come to Christ, just once and then I'll leave you alone. Just once, just see once what the world has to offer and after that I'll leave you alone. Just say you've tasted it once, just say you've done it once and then I'll leave you alone. It never happens like that. The devil never rests. He's a persistent foe in trying to break down the child of God. And even in those persistent moments, we again are reminded that God is still there. James 4 in the verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How whenever we draw close to the Lord, we can find such strength in him that the devil will resist and flee. See the call to resist him, not just to compromise with sin, but to completely resist it. Regardless of how persistent the devil may be, regardless of how popular those temptations may be, regardless of how personal those temptations may be, how powerful these temptations are as well. Look at what Paul says in the verse 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That phrase, taken you, it really means in the Greek to to lay hold of, to grab hold onto. There's no temptation taken hold of you. There's no temptation grabbed you, but such as is common to man. And so we just see here how not only persistent Satan is, but how powerful Satan is whenever those moments of temptation come. Whenever he gets that foothold, he grabs a lot more, and he becomes a very powerful enemy. Now, whenever we think of how Satan works whenever those temptations come. We've already said how he he works in more than one occasion, how he often comes back, tempts us time and time again with those same sins. Even whenever we think of what the writer in Hebrews said about having that sin that does so easily beset us, that one sin that even after we come to Christ just seems to rear its ugly head time and time again and even just tries to bring us down. That one sin that we just can't seem to completely conquer. That one sin that we just can't seem to completely defeat. That sin that does so easily beset us. How persistent and how powerful temptation and sin can be even to us believers. Whenever we think of how powerful temptation is, how powerful the devil is at at trying to bring us into sin, trying to take us down that path of of forsaking the Lord and and going after the lusts of the flesh and the desires of this world. How Satan, first of all, tries to make sin enticing. He tries to make sin enticing. He makes sin appear so attractive. He makes sin even appear, appear beneficial. And he can make sin appear necessary. He makes sin and he makes those temptations as if there's something that we can't do without. He can make them seem so necessary to us that we feel like there's no choice but to give in to those temptations. How appealing sin is whenever Satan first brings it to mankind. 
We think of Solomon again as he says in Proverbs, Look not thou upon the wine when it's red, when it giveth his color in the cup. And Solomon knows the danger particularly of of alcohol and, and drunkenness that stems from that. He knows how attractive the wine appears in the cup. He knows the destruction as well that it brings at the end of it and how Satan makes sin look so attractive for as long as he can. How he makes the wine look as red as he can in the cup for as long as he can. How beneficial he can make sin look. How necessary he can make sin look. He can make it look so enticing. And then it's so enticing that it becomes embracing. See how powerful Temptation is not just enticing but embracing. He makes it look so lovely. Uh, It's something that we can often find comfort in, he tries to tell us. Something that we can take a rest in. Something that we can use to clear our heads. Something that we can use just to spend a few moments away from the stresses of this world, from the busyness of life. This is something that's so lovely. It's something that will bring such rest. It's something that will bring such comfort and contentment. Oh, the devil's powerful whenever it comes to temptation. There's a term that's used whenever people are, are kidnapped and they're held in hostage situations. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. It's whenever the, those that are held captive, uh, it's described as those who are held captive develop feelings or develop some sort of bond with those who hold them hostage and almost view those, view the ones that are holding them hostage as, as necessary to their survival and and have that bond, have those feelings for them. And that's what the devil often can do to try to bring the child of God into sin. To make it seem necessary. To make the one that holds us captive look so lovely and look so not just enticing but embracing. Again, Paul, throughout his, his many letters, encourages the believers to stand firm against sin. Not just be reminded that we are safe from the penalty of sin, but that we're safe from the power of sin as well. Romans 6.11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wonder this evening, and it's a challenge to my own heart as well, I wonder if that part of the gospel has really reached the depths of our hearts. That we're not just saved from the punishment of sin, but that we are saved from the power of sin as well. And we'll see in a few moments how we can indeed know victory over sin. But I wonder, do we still continue to choose to love the Lord and choose to be dead to sin? Regardless of how enticing and embracing temptation can be, because at the end of it all, it becomes enslaving. And how we've heard the testimonies of many people of God who loved the Lord and were saved but grew backslidden and went back to the sins of the old world and fell into those sins once again that they once held dear. How a child of God, how a believer can compromise with sin for so long that it almost becomes normal. That not to do it or to resist it would feel strange. That to resist it would feel Weird, even thinking back to the illustration that we had at the beginning about Ulysses and the call of the siren, how enticing it can be, and it can soon become enslaving, as he was told before of the many who went off course just to sit at the feet of those sirens to hear the song, and they would die. And how many before would have seen the bones of those who had died, and still they went towards it, just to hear the siren's song. How enslaving 
sin can be, how enslaving temptation can be. Again, whenever we think of that sin that does so easily beset us, when we're in a position, don't say no. Those sins that are so easy to fall into, those sins that over time can just become not even a second thought, how enslaving temptation soon becomes. But we're not just then enslaved to the sin, soon we're enslaved to the guilt and the shame that comes with it. And again, we think back to that place of isolation that temptation can bring a believer into. Whenever the devil makes the child of God feel like there's no release from this, where the siren call of sin just has to be obeyed. And as Paul says here, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There's no temptation gripped you. There's no temptation received you. And that's how the child of God that this temptation, this particular sin, whatever it may be, it's just grabbed such hold of me, it's just enslaved me, that there's no coming out. And many a believer has felt left bound to those old desires because they're left to feel like there is no hope, that this is it until they get to heaven, that this is just something they'll have to put up with until they get to glory. But even though we see here the nature of sin, we see here as well the help that we have in sin. It would be a great discouragement if Paul was to end that verse just after that first statement, there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. How discouraged we would be if that's all the word of God said on the matter. But he continues on here and he reminds us of great help that we have even in those seasons of temptation. And he begins with this great help by reminding us about the faithfulness of God. And if there's ever a thing we need to remember If there's ever an aspect of the character of God, we need to remember whenever sin comes knocking at our hearts and temptation can come in like a flood, it's the faithfulness of God. Paul reminds us that even whenever those temptations can take us, that God is faithful. Now he listed those sins of of his Old Testament people, Israel, in chapter 10, and we can read through them there, the idolatry of the golden calf, again the fornication, how they tempted Christ in the wilderness, how they murmured in the wilderness, and how they suffered for for 40 years because of it, how only two over the age of 20 from the Exodus generation went into the promised land, how the rest of them were left to die in the wilderness, how God was still their God, and they were still his people. Yes, they never inherited the full blessings of God, but God never annulled his faithfulness to them. And so whenever those sins come to us, whenever those temptations come to us and we fall to them, how we thank him tonight, he never annuls our salvation. If it was down to you and to me, we'd never be saved any longer than five minutes at a time. And how we thank him and how our hearts rejoice that even in sin and in temptation, God is faithful. It's a verse that we can often use in, in terms of evangelism, but it's just as true for us as believers. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How we thank him tonight for his faithfulness. 
even in those moments where we are faithless. Paul in Second Timothy says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, because he cannot deny himself. Nothing, believer, tonight will cause God to revoke the love that he placed upon you. Nothing will cause God to change his mind in terms of saving us, in terms of forgiving us, because our salvation is greater than the temptations that we face in this world. As much as as they are common to man, as powerful as they may be, as persistent they may be, still the blood of Christ is more powerful and still more persistent in terms of cleansing us from those sins. How we have a faithful God who forgives us in those moments. How we have a God who forgives us and how we have a God who doesn't forsake us as we think of his faithfulness in those seasons of temptation. Again, James tells us, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. How whenever those troubles come, how whenever those temptations come, God doesn't back off and hope that we manage to get out ourselves, but he opens up that invitation of fellowship. Draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. Such fellowship and such faithfulness we can find in him because of the great love we're with. He loves us. As we draw closer to him, we do find that strength to resist the devil that he may flee. See the faithfulness of God and the help of temptation. See again, as we've said, the fellowship of God when it comes to temptation. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. How he is close enough to his people to know their weaknesses, and he knows your weaknesses tonight. He knows those things that concern you. He knows those things that trouble me. He knows those things, whenever even it comes to temptation and sin, those things that we acknowledge in ourselves, we don't have the strength within us to resist. We don't have the strength within us to fight against and to conquer. And that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 103. Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Believer tonight, he acknowledges how weak we really are whenever it comes to fighting sin. Think of even what he said to the the disciples. I know it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, but still it's as true whenever it comes to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Paul had that resting within himself at the end of Romans chapter 7. And he, he acknowledges that there's things that he wants to do that he just can't find himself doing at times. There's things that he'd rather not do that he finds himself doing at times. And he's trying to reconcile the two, him being the one that was chosen of God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And still he says there's things he finds himself wrestling against and still struggling with. But there's a great light within him. And he acknowledges in the middle of that great dilemma, I do delight in the law of God after the inward man. He knows that his real new nature now is to follow Christ. He knows now that he's been born again. He knows now that he has within him a heart that longs for the things of God. And whenever those sins and whenever those temptations come calling, he knows they're not really of him now. He knows that those old things have passed away and that all things are become new. He knows that he is God with him. And as he tries to reconcile the temptations that he faces and the longings that he has for the things of God, he brings it back to the inward man, the new man that God has given him.
such a comforting presence we have in the Lord when our temptation is just so overwhelming. How we can draw nigh unto him. And as we've read here, we can come to him knowing that this is something in which God can help us. Paul tells us here that God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted comes our way. In which God says here, he will with the temptation also make a way to escape that Jesus places them there. How the Lord never leaves us to suffer to sin. How the Lord will be aware. Will we be alert? Not just to the ways of the devil, but to the ways of escape that God provides to his people. In Hebrews 11, whenever it speaks of Moses, it says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses knew that he had to follow the Lord. 